Guten Morgen. Them call you up, make you chop. You chop Welcome back to the Stick to the Man show with Sister Fela. You go hungry, you go suffer, you go quench. And uh, we're gonna watch some Amy. Monday, October 26th. Good morning, Amy. Somebody come bring original trouble. You know what I'm You know what I'm saying? You say you be gentleman. You go soft, you go tired, you go quench. At least 19 immigrant women have now come forward to allege they were pressured into unnecessary yeah, psychological treatment and surgeries while they were jailed by ICE at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. There's something really weird going on, um, very nefarious going on. They're stealing this wounds democracy from now. women, from would-be... Uh, asylum seekers that are in detention in Georgia, especially by a doctor that doesn't have any medical certification and they are deporting these women back to uh, back to their home countries after they take their wombs away from them. What are they doing with the, these, uh, these wombs? I think they're doing some kind of uh, nefarious scientific experiments he told me they stuck her, that the doctor stuck his, his hand on her private parts, Mr. Speaker. I am told one woman has been bleeding for more than two weeks. Let's shut down this center. Yeah. Let's arrest the doctors. Adriano Espaillat, Espaillat, Democrat, New York, 13th District, Manhattan, Bronx. And anybody that was involved in perpetrating yeah, this yeah, crime. Like At least sorry. 19 immigrant women have now come forward to allege they were pressured into unnecessary gynecological treatment and surgeries while they were jailed by ICE at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. Everybody go on social media and thank that uh, representative for doing the right thing. Some of the procedures left the women sterile. We'll look at a shocking new report on the mistreatment of the women, speak to a survivor of medical abuse at Irwin, and Congress member Adriano Espaillat, the first formerly undocumented immigrant to be elected to Congress. Also, um, ask, ask uh, your representatives to um, call for... Uh, ICC, um, International Criminal Courts investigators to look into this as a crime against humanity. He visited the women in Irwin. Then we share the story of a Palestinian-American family living in Trump country, the highly conservative town of Appomattox, Virginia, where Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant in 1865. 
we know everybody in town. Yes. I mean, we don't have any uh, grudges against any of them. And none of them have grudges against us. They like us. Politics, when, especially when we came like really long time ago, it wasn't that big of a deal. It's different now, maybe. We'll speak to filmmaker Nadine Nator, who tells the story of her own parents in the short documentary Nator's Grocery. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The Quarantine Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Confirmed cases of COVID-19 are continuing to surge in the United States as more than 83,000 new infections were recorded on both Friday and Saturday, the highest daily total since the pandemic began. Hospitalizations rose in 38 states over the past week. Total confirmed cases in the U.S. have now topped 8.6 million, with a death toll over 225,000. Actually, it's uh, 300,000 at least um, because the White House has seized control of over the the death and infection statistics that used to go to the CDC. Both numbers the highest in the world. A new outbreak in the White House has infected at least five of Vice President Mike Pence's aides. In spite of the news, Pence, who the White House says has tested negative, has continued campaigning and is refusing to quarantine in defiance of guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. These people should be ripped out of office. They can't even wear a mask. I mean, that's the most basic guideline uh, for public health and safety, and uh, they can't even respect that. And they are egging on their followers to do the same, which is a public endangerment. It's criminal and willful neglect of their their duties. Call your Congress member 202-224-3121 and tell them, get rid of these pieces of shit. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows was questioned by CNN's Jake Tapper Sunday. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why are we going to get control of the pandemic? Because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why not make efforts to contain it? Well, we are making efforts to contain it. By running all over the country and not wearing a mask? Pence's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, also confirmed in his interview, reports the White House attempted to keep news of the outbreak from the public. Democratic vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris spoke out Sunday about her rival, Mike Pence. Listen, he should be following the guidelines. We're doing it. I think we have modeled the right and good behavior, and they should take our lead. Pence is the head of the coronavirus task force. Meanwhile, President Trump and Joe Biden continued campaigning over the weekend. On Friday, Trump told voters in Florida he would, quote, quickly end this pandemic, despite the surging cases across the country. Meanwhile, Biden told supporters in his home city of Wilmington, Delaware, Trump has, quote, quit on America and assured voters he would listen to scientists and push to mandate mask wearing across the country. Wearing a mask is not a political statement. It's a scientific imperative. In immigration news, federal health officials say the Trump administration has been pressuring the CDC to endorse locking up migrant children at border hotels before deporting them as a way to help protect them from the pandemic. The Trump administration was forced to halt the practice last month under court order and following public outrage. Wow. 
there you go that's what the, what they're doing is they're putting these kids alone in motel rooms best western i believe it was and then they're raping them they're violating them and probably snuffing them and that's why they're getting rid of the lists on Friday, Illinois Department of Public Health Director Dr. Ngozi Azike broke down at a news conference in Chicago when she talked about the pandemic death toll and called for widespread use of face coverings. Today, we are reporting 3,874 new cases for a total of 364, 33 confirmed cases since the start of this pandemic. Excuse me, please. Dr. Azike then turned away from the podium to collect herself. The World Health Organization warns countries are on a dangerous track as coronavirus cases are surging across many regions, including in Europe, where governments are introducing sweeping new measures in an effort to contain infections. Spain has declared a state of emergency and ordered a nationwide curfew. Italy imposed an early curfew for restaurants and has closed gyms, pools and movie theaters. France reported over 52,000 new cases Sunday, a new record. It now has the fifth high highest caseload in the world. Meanwhile, in Poland, President Duda has tested positive for COVID-19. He said he had no symptoms so far and apologized to those who must quarantine after coming into contact with him. In Latin America, Colombia became the third country in the region to top one million cases, joining Brazil and Argentina. A final vote to confirm Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, is expected today, just over a week ahead of Election Day. Senate Republicans voted Sunday to move forward with the confirmation, ending a Democratic filibuster that sought to delay proceedings. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski said Saturday she would join her Republican colleagues and vote to confirm Barrett, despite voting against moving forward her confirmation on Sunday. Vice President Pence is expected to preside over the confirmation in the Senate, as many senators question his attendance there in light of his likely exposure to COVID-19, and despite the fact that Republicans have enough votes to confirm without him breaking a tie. Judge Amy Coney Barrett would be Trump's third appointee to the Supreme Court and the sixth conservative justice on the bench. During her Senate hearing, she refused to state her position on abortion rights, gay marriage, the Affordable Care Act, voting rights, climate change family separation at the U.S.-Mexico border, and presidential powers in relation to the elections. Meanwhile, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is deflecting questions about his own health after he was photographed on Capitol Hill with black and blue bruises above his upper lip and black and blue on one of his hands. His right hand has got um, bruises. I think, I think he got into a fight and, uh, of some sorts. And uh, maybe, uh, and I want to, I want to know how is his wife? Haven't heard anything about his wife. Isn't it Elaine Chow, the transportation secretary? Everybody call 202-224-3121 and, and, and um, call the Kentucky, uh, call the Kentucky police and, and, and ask them to do a welfare check on Elaine Chow. As Thursday, McConnell replied, of course not when asked by reporters if he has any medical issues. 
according to the group U.S. Elections Project. Over 59 million votes have already been cast in the election as early voting records have been shattered across many states. Here in New York City, where lines wrapped around blocks as Keep it up, America. Don't let them uh, get you done with the vote suppression, closing all the, closing as many polls as they can, and taking away all the, all the, uh, the mailboxes so that you can't uh, return it by mail. Um, you know, and uh, call, call and razz your uh, Congress members about anything and everything. And uh, if you had to wait in line, if you see long lines in your in your state, call and razz your razz your Congress member about it. Who is the person? Uh, demand to know, to find out, find out who is responsible for these freaking long lines, because that is the person that should be charged with vote suppression. Early voting kicked off on Saturday. A Brooklyn police officer has been suspended without pay after social media videos circulated showing him repeatedly saying Trump 2020 through his patrol car speaker. Congressmember Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez cast her ballot in the Bronx Sunday morning where she addressed the hours-long lines. There is no place in the United States of America where two, three, four hour waits to vote is acceptable. And just because it's happening in a blue state doesn't mean that it's not voter suppression. In other election news, the Texas Supreme Court temporarily reinstated Governor Greg Abbott's order limiting ballot drop box sites to just one per county while the court reviews the case. Voters' rights groups say the governor's order will not only lower turnout, but also put people at increased risk during the pandemic. And how much you want to bet that judge is a frickin' Trump judge? Meanwhile, in a victory for voting rights and Democrats, Pennsylvania's Supreme Court ruled Friday mail-in ballots that have mismatched signatures cannot be rejected. In more voting news from Pennsylvania, state Republicans are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to take up their case attempting to block the counting of mailed-in ballots received up to three days after next Tuesday, Election Day. A 4-4 to deadlock last week left in place a ruling from a lower court permitting the extensions for counting ballots, but Pennsylvania Republicans hope the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett will see the court rule in their favor. Sudan and Israel have agreed to normalize diplomatic relations and open up trade and economic ties following a deal that was brokered by the United States. Sudanese political parties have rejected the agreement, warning it could trigger a new war in the country as the unelected transitional government does not have the authority to sign off on the agreement. Critics also say the deal interferes with peace talks in the Middle East. Nigeria's police chief has ordered the immediate deployment of all law enforcement resources to quell the ongoing protests against government corruption and police brutality. Demonstrations began over three weeks ago with calls to abolish the now dismantled Special Anti-Robbery Squad Police Unit, known as SARS. Dozens of protesters have been killed by security forces. At the Vatican, Pope Francis called for an end to the violence in Nigeria during his Sunday prayer. In the West African nation of Guinea, Amnesty International reports security forces who killed at least 10 protesters during demonstrations.
tensions that broke out after the re-election of President Alpha Conde to a third term last week. Opposition leaders say the death toll is closer to 30 people. Opponents and critics of Conde are challenging the results of the election and say there is evidence of fraud. Armenia and Azerbaijan have resumed fighting in the disputed territory of Nagorno-Karabakh just minutes after a humanitarian ceasefire was supposed to go into effect early today. It was the third truce to fail since the conflict erupted on September 27th. Last week, Russian President Vladimir Putin said the fighting has left almost 5,000 dead on both sides, far more than the official death toll of less than 1,000 cited by governing authorities. Tens of thousands have fled their homes homes, with many left sheltering underground for weeks. To see our discussion about Nagorno-Karabakh, go to democracynow.org. In Belarus, over 100,000 people marched through the streets of Minsk Sunday, braving police violence as they called on President Alexander Lukashenko to resign. It was the 11th successive Sunday of protests since Lukashenko claimed victory in an election that opponents say was rigged. Protesters have launched a nationwide general strike today, backed by opposition leader Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, who went into exile in neighboring Lithuania in August. In Afghanistan, a suicide bombing in Kabul killed at least 24 people Saturday at an education center, many of the victims teenage students. Scores were also injured in the attack, which was claimed by the Islamic State but has not been verified. Earlier in the day, a separate attack, nine civilians were killed after a roadside bomb tore through a passenger bus near the Afghan capital. Local police blamed the Taliban for the attack. Escalating violence in Afghanistan has come amidst ongoing peace talks between the government and Taliban officials in Qatar. Amnesty International said at least 50 people had been killed in attacks over the past week. The world must sit up and take notice. Afghan civilians are being shattered on a daily basis, said Amnesty International. In other news from Afghanistan, security officials say they have killed al-Qaeda's second-in-command, Abu Musan al-Masri, who was on the FBI's most wanted terrorist list. In Iraq, thousands of protesters took to the streets of Baghdad Sunday to mark one year since a new wave of anti-government demonstrations began in Iraq. Iraqi security forces fired water cannons and tear gas at protesters who continued to demand an end to government corruption and more economic opportunities. This is one of the protesters. We are asking for our rights, rights that have been taken from us for the past 17 years. All the governments have been weak. They all have failed. The government works for foreign agendas more than they do for the citizens of the country. We, the citizens, we have nothing. Libya's UN-backed government has signed a permanent ceasefire agreement with a rebel movement led by renegade former Libyan general Khalifa Haftar. If the truce holds, it'll pave the way for ending a civil war that's split Libya between East and West since 2014. In the Israeli-occupied West Bank, the family of an 18-year-old Palestinian teen who died after being beaten by Israeli forces is demanding answers. Amr Abdurrahman Snobar died of his wounds in the hospital, which health officials say were consistent with trauma inflicted by bludgeoning with rifles. 
in Chile. Tens of thousands of people poured into the streets of Santiago and around the country Sunday evening as results came in showing an overwhelming majority voted to rewrite Chile's Pinochet dictatorship-era constitution. One year after mass protests rocked Chile, Many hope the historic referendum will lead to changes in social and economic inequalities, address police brutality, expand access to education and indigenous sovereignty. Pope Francis named Washington, D.C. Archbishop Wilton Gregory as one of 13 new Roman Catholic cardinals who will become the first African-American to hold the rank. Gregory spoke out against police brutality and racism following the police killing of George Floyd in May. In June, the archbishop blasted Trump after police used tear gas and other violent tactics against protesters to clear a path to St. John's Church so Trump could have a photo op while holding up a Bible. Federal prosecutors have arrested a self-described leader of the far-right Boogaloo movement in connection with the burning of a Minneapolis police precinct in May. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Minnesota says 26-year-old Ivan Harrison Hunter fired 13 rounds from a semi-automatic assault rifle into the third precinct during protests against the police killing of George Floyd. The Boogaloo boys promote violent acts aimed at sparking civil war in the United States. They've been linked to more than two dozen arrests and five deaths this year. Meanwhile, Alicia Garza, the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter Global Network, said she was recently approached by the FBI after agents found her name on a list in the home of a white supremacist in Idaho who was recently arrested on weapons charges. Garza tweeted, quote, this is why this president is so dangerous. He's stoking fires he has no intention of controlling. Alicia Garza will join us on Tuesday on Democracy Now! In Colorado, the state's two largest fires on record, the Cameron Peak and the East Troublesome fires, continue to rage as scientists warn such events will become more common due to climate change-induced heat waves and droughts. Together, the two fires have turned over 400,000 acres so far, but authorities say weekend snowfall has helped slow the fire's progression. An elderly couple was killed by the East Troublesome blazes last week after refusing evacuation orders. Meanwhile, in California, authorities warn intense winds could exacerbate what's already the worst fire season on record. Pacific Gas and Electric said they're cutting power to over 360,000 customers in Northern California Sunday, and over 30 million people in the region are under a red flag wildfire warning through Tuesday. And a United Nations treaty banning nuclear weapons is said to go into effect in 90 days. On Saturday, Honduras became the 50th nation to ratify the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which bans the development, testing, and possession of nuclear warheads, as well as any threat to use such weapons. The treaty has not been signed by any of the world's nine nuclear powers, Britain, China, France, India, Israel, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, and the United States. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The Quarantine Report. When we come back, at least 19 immigrant women have now come forward to allege they were pressured into unnecessary gynecological treatment and surgeries at an ICE jail in Georgia, the procedures leaving some of them sterile. We'll speak to a survivor and a doctor who reviewed her records for a shocking new report that will be presented today to the Senate Democratic Caucus. I, I think uh, 
some of them leaving some of them sterile is a is a bit of an understatement if you have your womb taken out then uh like all of those women would be sterile stay with us Immigration and Customs Enforcement at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. The women are mostly black and Latina. They were all patients of Dr. Mahendra Amin, the primary gynecologist linked to the jail. In a shocking new report submitted to Congress Thursday, an independent medical review team of nine board-certified OBGYNs and two nursing experts examined more than 3,200 pages of the women's medical records and said they found a lack of informed consent and a, quote, disturbing pattern of questionable gynecological surgical procedures. Today, they'll present their findings to the Senate Democratic Caucus. This comes after whistleblowing nurse Don Wooten first spoke out in September about an alarmingly high rate of hysterectomies performed on women at the ICE jail, prompting congressional and federal investigations. This is why we need to shut down ICE. It's like the SS or Gestapo, and they're they're um, systematically uh, abusing um, human rights and and civil rights and legal rights, and it's an atrocity and crime against humanity to to do this. And and uh, I would demand, as Pima County Sheriff candidate or sheriff uh, any in anywhere USA um, you know write me in TRISTA I would be I'm calling I'm demanding that there be an investigation into what happened to those wombs where are the where are those uteruses or what's the plural of uterus uteri where are the uteri where how many how many and where are they and I spokesperson said the allegations in the new report raise, quote, serious concerns that deserve to be investigated quickly and thoroughly. Meanwhile, the private prison company that operates Irwin, LaSalle Corrections, said it could not comment during the pending investigation. For more, we're joined by three guests. Harami Floriana Novato is a survivor of medical abuse and neglected Irwin. She was the original source of the information about a medical abuse by Dr. Mahendra Amin that was eventually included in the whistleblower report. She's in Mexico right now. Also with us from Chicago, Illinois, is Dr. Maggie Mueller. She was part of the independent medical review team that produced the new report. She's an assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern Medical Center. And we're joined by Democratic Congress member Adriano Espaillat of New York, who was part of a delegation from the Congressional Hispanic Caucus that visited the Irwin County Jail in September, where he met with jailed women who alleged Dr. Amin conducted unnecessary medical procedures on them without their full knowledge and consent. Congressmember Espaillat is the first Dominican-American and the first formerly undocumented immigrant to serve in Congress. We welcome you all to Democracy Now! I want to begin with the doctor. Dr. Mueller, if you can talk about what what you found happened um, at Irwin? 
Absolutely. Um, so what we were able to identify, there was really what we think is a concerning pattern of, number one, overly aggressive management of women's complaints or lack thereof complaints, actually, um, as well as significant lack of informed consent for these women who underwent procedures that they then acknowledged they didn't understand they were going to undergo. And talk about how extensive this was, what these procedures were. We're not talking about one woman or two women. Uh, we're talking about uh, at least 19 women. What were they told? Where did this happen? And how many do you understand were actually given hysterectomies without their knowledge? Yeah, so I think that's a very important point of clarification. So as you said, we did review 19 cases um, where we had medical records um, of women who received care with Dr. Amin. Um, what I mentioned is a pattern, the pattern of overly aggressive. Um, I think you should scratch the surface on that one. 19, that's a super conservative estimate. They probably destroyed a lot of the records. And so there wouldn't be a paper trail. So I, I'm, I would guess, I'm guessing hundreds, hundreds. And it's probably not just in this ICE detention. I would look into uh, similar, similar doctors collecting uteruses at ICE detention facilities around the country procedures. This is not necessarily focusing on hysterectomy or sterilization procedures, but still important surgical procedures that can have implications later on in life. So for example, taking a patient that really didn't have any gynecologic complaints, not working them up appropriately, and then performing additional procedures like a dilation and curatage or a diagnostic laparoscopic procedure, and then recommending even more aggressive therapy. What does he gain by doing this? I, I ask this because in 2013, Georgia and federal investigators sued Dr. Amin. This is like seven years ago. Um, uh, uh, the hospital authority of Irwin County and a group of other doctors over allegations they falsely billed Medicare and Medicaid. Does he make money off of these hysterectomies? Yeah, he probably sells them for well, honestly, I think that's outside of my um, my ability to um, make a determination. I am an expert medical witness. I'm able to review medical records. And we need to we need to demand an investigation, Dr. Maggie Mueller, Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, Northwestern Medical Center, and determine whether or not the standard of care was was breached. Um, I can't comment as to what the motivation um, behind this was, but it, certainly it warrants further investigation, and that's what we are asking for with this report. Well, I want to go to uh, Jaramie Floriano Navarro. Um, we are speaking to you um, in Aguas Calientes, Mexico. Um, can you talk about when you were held at Irwin and what happened to you? Yes, of course. I was held in Irwin from October 18, 2019, all the way uh, to September 15, 2020. And I met Dr. Amin March of 2020 because I told the nurse that I had heavy cramps and that I, all I wanted was a medication, like ibuprofen or something. But instead, 
she sent me to Dr. Amen for my cramps and I also had an infection, a vaginal infection. And from day one that I met Dr. Amen, he said, okay, you need surgery. He did a ultrasound, vaginal ultrasound with the, with the wand. And I didn't even know he was going to do that. To be honest with you, I didn't know that I was going to have to take my pants off or lay on that bed and let him look at me. I didn't, I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me that I was going to have a vaginal ultrasound. Was he doing this in his office or at the Irwin jail? No, it was it was not at the Irwin County Jail. It was at his office. Uh huh. So you were brought yeah. there from the detention facility. His uh, his residence. Uh, if he he should be in jail right now, and uh, his residence should be uh, searched to find out what he was into. What was he into trafficking, or was he in was and did he have? Uh, is this just or is this just like one of the government's, one of the ICE detentions, uh, doctors, so-called doctors, in, 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 in quotation marks, um, who are maybe collecting these uteruses, uteri, uteri, uh, for, uh, I would, I would guess scientific experimentation and to use those wombs to uh, bring to term other uh, fertilized eggs. That's that's what I, I guess is what I think it's part of this whole, uh, you know, the government's, uh, they're doing, we're basically, we've been run by the Nazis ever since uh, Operation Paperclip, which is why Operation, hashtag Operation Paperclip has been, um, it's not allowed on TikTok, by the way, which is now owned by a, a Oracle, a, a, a huge Trump donor. So go on from there. Yes, they took me there, I must say, about 40 times from March to September, to be honest with you. He told me right off the bat, he said, you have a cyst and it's not big, but it could grow and we need to do a surgery. That was the first time I had ever heard I had a cyst or seen him and he told me right off the bat. I was super afraid. I didn't know what a cyst was or how it formed. He didn't explain to me none of the above. He didn't care. He just wanted to do the surgery. He gave me medication for my infection. Uh, And then he said that he was going to put a depo shot on me because that would help the cyst go away. Basically, I didn't have a choice. He said that Irwin County Detention Center is no good at keeping up with any medication and that the depo shot would be the most effective and that it would work for my favor because I didn't have to depend on Irwin County County Detention Center to give me my, my pills, which it would be any other type of medication for hormones. So I was left with no choice. And so I had to pick the depo. After the depo, I was bleeding. I wasn't bleeding heavy, but I was spotting for an entire month. And I told the nurse that I was spotting after the depo. And I have two kids. I've had the depo before. I had never experienced those type of symptoms. They took me back to see Dr. Amin from March to July at least 25 times. 
they would take me out constantly to go see him. He would, he would always check me. If it wasn't with his fingers, then it would be with the wand. And to be honest with you, it was uncomfortable each and every time. I didn't like anything he ever did. I didn't like his posture. I didn't like the way he stood in front of me or rested his hand on my knee as he did the vaginal. The vaginal search or whatever he was doing. And it was uncomfortable, to be honest with you. He kept telling me every single time I would see him that I was going to have a surgery. But for some reason, I never knew when the surgery was going to be. Finally, when it came time for me to have my second round or my second dose, I, whatever, my second round of the depot shot. You're talking about July the drug depot Provera. Um. Yes, yes. He gave, he gave me that shot March. And he gave me that shot again in July, about the middle of July. He was supposed to give me this shot by the end, by the endings of June, but he didn't. And that was the first red flag that I realized because I thought to myself, how is it that he doesn't even know when it's my third month mark? He's not even giving me the shot the way it's supposed to be or by the time it's supposed to be. How is it that my cyst is going to go away if he's not doing this properly. So that was my first concern. And I told the nurse, I told her, how is it that he doesn't have any medical records on his computer? Does it not tell him when it's supposed to be the third month? I don't understand why he didn't give me the shot by the end of June. When I complained, they took me back to see him around June 12. It was about, it was around the second week of July. It was me and Juridia. We both went to see him and he told her and me that we both need a surgery. That was also Juridia's first time seeing Dr. Amin. She too, an immigrant prisoner at Irwin. Yes, she had the surgery performed. I denied it. So July 31st was two weeks after we went to see him. And that was the day that it was recorded for me to have my surgery. To my knowledge, as far as the information I was able to collect, I knew that I was going to have my cyst drained and that was it. That morning when Ms. Vaughn picked me up, she asked me as they were putting on the chains on me, she asked me, do you know where you're going? What procedure you're going to have? And I was like, no, I, I think I'm going to see Dr. Amin to have my cyst drained. And she smirked. She said, <laughs> And that was it. And I, I, I knew I heard her, but I, I was just like, okay, that was odd, whatever. And so they took me to the hospital, which is about conveniently is about 15, 15 to 10 minutes from Irwin County detention top. And so we get to the hospital and, you know, because of the pandemic, they have to do tests on us. They did the nose swab and they checked my blood. They took me to the room to prep me. I had to sign papers saying, to my knowledge, because the nurse didn't allow me to read the paper, even though I wanted to. She didn't allow me to read the paper, the consent form, which said that if anything happens to me during the surgery, they weren't responsible. So I knew that she said that that's what it said. And I was, I thought it was just, crazy like how am I signing this paper although Dr. Amin is telling me that I need this surgery 
before anything happens to the cyst inside my body. I signed the paper. They took me to the room. They prepped me up. They put the IV. I had to take my clothes off, wait for the anesthesia person to come and put, put the anesthesia on me to go to sleep. Before the anesthesia person could come in and put me to sleep, uh, Ms. Vaughn and I were speaking and we were getting to know each other. She was very polite. She was showing me pictures of her kids and we were talking there for a minute. When at the end of the conversation, she said, you know, you're having a hysterectomy. I was going to have my womb removed. And I, I had heard that word before a lot in Irwin County. So I knew that a hysterectomy was to remove our woman parts. And when she said that, I looked at her and I didn't say anything. I just automatically prayed. I said, Lord, did you hear what she said? That's outrageous. What is she talking about? And as soon as I finished my thoughts, the other officer who went to get food for them to eat came back and he told her, hey, they need to speak with you. So my heart just raised when he said that. My heart was already beating fast when she said I was going to have a hysterectomy. But when he said they need to speak with you, I knew something wasn't right. And she came back in the room and she told me, they can't do the surgery because you have antibodies for COVID. Uh, my whole world synced at the moment and I thought I was gonna die because of COVID. I mean, I've been locked in there, it's dirty, they don't feed us correctly, they don't take care of us, they don't care how many medical requests we put for COVID, they didn't care. So I just was like lost, you know, being in place locked up all day, every day with no sunlight, under constant LSD lights, it's just constant illumination. It's like a low grade of torture. So I just, all of that just ran through my mind as they were telling me I had COVID and I body COVID. And luckily they couldn't do the surgery on me. They couldn't perform the surgery on me because of the antibodies. And the nurse came in the room and said that Dr. Amin was going to be pissed because he wasn't going to be able to perform the surgery on me. And she took the IVs out and they just told me they'll reschedule it. And Ms. Vaughn took me back to, to Irwin County Detention Center. They had to isolate me for a minute. And when they took me back to Irwin County Detention Center, they wouldn't tell the other ladies that I had COVID. They told the ladies that I was going home. And that's why they were taking out my stuff from the pod. But I was able to kind of tell them before I left through the window that I had COVID and that the reason why I wasn't going back in there and they were taking my things out of there was because I had COVID. And they rescheduled this surgery for August the 14th. They were in a rush to do this to me. I was supposed to be gone by the endings of July, by the endings of, excuse me, after, after July, August, I was supposed to be gone by August, but they held me there just trying to do the surgery on me for an entire, a month and a half. That's not normal. My appeal was over July 31st. I should have been gone two weeks after that. To be honest with you, that is how the process goes. My my appeal lasted six months. I was already there for a long time. After that month, 
of July, I was supposed to be gone at least a week or two weeks later, but no, they held me there. They were really trying to do the surgery on me for whatever reason they wanted to take my womb out. I refused it though, August the 14th, I refused that surgery before August the 14th, I was speaking with Ms. Hughes and I was telling her, hey, there's something not right because the officer said I was going to have my womb removed and I don't appreciate that at all because that's not what I signed for. You didn't, you guys never told me that's, that's what you guys were gonna do. Dr. Amen said he was going to do a DNC. He said he was going to drain my cyst. He never said anything about going into my vagina, doing anything through my vagina. He said he was going to drain a cyst, that it was a 20 minute process, three holes on my stomach, one by my belly, by my womb, and down one a little under my womb by my vagina. That's all he said. He never said anything about going into my vaginal area. But when I told Ms. Hughes this, she changed her story about four times. She said that Dr. Amin had to request a heavy bleeding procedure, a heavy bleeding surgery on me because if not, then ICE would have not approved this process. How do I mean, when did you get deported in this process? In this process, I got deported September 16, which is the day after the whistleblower report came out. And I was in shock when I found out that the day after this came out, I got deported, to be honest with you. Do after you feel that, like I mean, they were deporting you so that you would not speak out? Of course. Of course, that's, that's why they were deporting me. I, I knew it. I came back from signing my deportation September 15th, which was the same day that I went back to see Dr. Amin. And he was pissed. He was like, why didn't you get the surgery? Who told you to say no? And I was like, excuse me? It was a misunderstanding. Stories were being changed. How was I supposed to say yes? I'm not going to undergo a surgery that I have no knowledge of. He was angry and they deported me the next day. And that's the day I found out, August, excuse me, September 15th, I found out that there was a report that went viral and everybody in Irwin County Detention Center, the officers, we're all asking if it was me who had spoken up. And I just, I was like, yes, it was me. I, I told, I told the lawyer that you guys were doing illegal surgeries here because that's how I felt. Uh, let me bring in uh, Congress member Adriano Espaillat. You went down to Irwin. You spoke with women there. Uh, you are Dominican-American. You're the first undocumented immigrant to be elected to Congress, um, formerly undocumented. Um, can you talk about what you found, how typical is Harami's experience, and what the hearing today is all about in Congress? Well, Amy, uh, just first let me uh, congratulate this young lady for her courage, uh, as well as the whistleblower who we met with uh, the day before we visited uh, Irwin Correctional uh, Detention Center. Um, look, uh, as I heard her tell her story, uh, the, the one thing that stood out is that she is very fluent in English. And most of the ladies there are not. And so imagine being subjected to this kind of treatment and not really understanding what's being said to you. 
So this is uh, this was a critical piece because to have informed consent, as you said, Amy, you must understand what they're telling you. You must understand what your options are and what your condition is. And so when we met with the ladies there, uh, let me just say that I was really taken aback by the level of fear that they expressed. And, and that was one thing that they consistently asked for was for us to protect them. They felt that if they spoke out, they would wind up in solitary confinement. Uh, and, and so as a young lady just said, this was a, so like a low grade of torture. And uh, they expressed how um, aggressively uh, they were being treated by this doctor. Um, in fact, there was eight women that we spoke to and two of them were Asian Asian uh, women from China, uh, and they couldn't they didn't have a translator there, so we couldn't really speak to them. But out of the other six, four of them had uh, been treated by Dr. Ramin, and so and they all expressed uh, concern as to uh, the um, aggressiveness of the test, the lack of information, the, uh, and 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 as such, the lack of an informed consent. And so this is the critical piece right here. Were they uh, consenting to these very aggressive uh, treatments or procedures? Uh, and if so, and if not, uh, then, you know, they're, they're in clear violation. And we're calling for, I'm calling for the shutdown of the center. Uh, and the arrest, any doctor that will subject his patients to this type of treatment anywhere in America could be subject to be arrested. So you're calling so, for a means arrest. Also, I, clearly the detention center was working with him. Well, that's part of the, that should be part of the investigation. Uh, the detention center, as you know, is run by a privately uh, owned uh, corporation, uh, LaSalle. We, we got to follow the money and see whether there were there was any profit incentive to aggressively submit these women to these very aggressive procedures that I suspect are also more expensive. And so they cost more money. So we want to see whether there was also a profit incentive to subject the, the women to this kind of what the young lady calls low grade of torture. And so, yes, uh, there should be a very deep and extensive investigation on this. Uh, we want to know if this is just isolated or is it a common practice in detention centers across America as well. How do you know the women who are being held there right now are not being subjected to the same thing? That's correct. They could continue to be, this doctor has a, a problem history with Medicaid fraud and, and as well, the women have uh, expressed to us, the ones that we spoke to, their fear that they will be subjected to solitary confinement. We don't know if they're still being subjected to the same kind of treatment that they have been subjected to for many, many years. So we are concerned that whistleblower was very specific uh, as to her uh, denunciations and we're, we're proud of, of her courage as well, but this must be investigated. This is horrendous. One of the women that I spoke to, a Dominican woman told me that she was treated like an animal. And, I and we were able to contact the Dominican consulate in Georgia and Florida, in Miami, Florida, and five of the Dominican women who wanted to either be released or deported back home were sent back home. Uh, they, uh, I allege that the Dominican government never gave them uh, the documents that they needed. When we called the Dominican government, 
the consulate, they told us that they were never contacted. So this um, hurry to extend the stay there for as long as possible to get in these procedures is highly questionable, if not criminal. Harmi, two quick questions before we go. Did you say you were chained to the bed? No, no, I was not chained to the bed. Uh huh. And are you asking to be let back into the United States? Of course I am. I deserve. I deserve to be let back in the United States. And so let me ask Congressmember Adriano Espiat, Ken Harami Floriano Navarro, how could this deportation be reversed, given what she has identified here? Uh, Cameroonian, one of the Cameroonian women, two were deported, but one whose um, uh, who's, uh, sterilization became very well known, was actually taken off the flight uh, in Chicago to be deported. Um, so she has remained now in the United States. Can Harami Floriano Novato, can you facilitate her return? We will fight to bring her back. She is a victim. And she uh, was subject to what she called a low grade of torture, what I think is also a low grade of torture. She should be allowed it back in and treated. Uh, certainly my office will be willing to work with the lawyers and with her to see if there's a way that we can bring her back to the United States. I am also concerned that these women were uh, readily and speedily uh, ushered out of the United States to prevent them, to silence them, uh, to keep them from saying their stories as uh, the story was uh, well and eloquently said today. It's uh, so horrendous. Uh, this is the same kind of stories that we heard from the women that we interview at the detention center, and this must be fully investigated. Irwin must be shut down. Dr. Amin must be arrested. I want to thank you all for being with us. Um, uh, Congressmember Adriano Espaillat uh, is speaking to us, Congressmember from New York, again, the first formerly undocumented um, immigrant to become thank a member sir. of Congress. Uh, Thank you, sir. You're a great man. Harami Floriano Navarro, uh, speaking to us from Mexico, where the U.S. deported her to. She is demanding to be let back into the United States, a survivor of Dr. Amin. And Dr. Maggie Mueller of the Northwestern Medical Center in Chicago, who's done the big report that we will link to. Um, talking about the number of women, almost 20, uh, that they know of who experienced uh, these kinds of threats or actual sterilizations or um, surgeries without proper informed consent. When we come back... Charge, we him, charge this doctor with crimes against humanity and, and uh, death penalty and see how fast he sings share the story of a Palestinian-American family living in Trump country in the very conservative town of Appomattox, Virginia. We'll speak to filmmaker Nadine Nator about her family. Stay with us. Child will know what you haven't told. His present will be past. He'll ride the time to another state of mind. Children are I. 
Friday by Rasha Nachas. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. As the presidential race enters its final full week, President Trump's continuing to run a campaign filled with attacks on immigrants and even immigrant members of Congress. During one recent rally in Michigan, Trump claimed Congresswoman Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, quote, truly hates our country, he said. Omar is the first Somali-American elected to Congress, and along with Rashida Tlaib, Palestinian-American Congress member, one of just two Muslims. Mr. Unpresident with a lowercase p. Lowercase p, get it? Ha <laughs> ha. Muslim women ever elected to Congress. Well, today we take a look at what it's like for one Palestinian-American family living in Trump's America. In a short documentary titled Nator's Grocery, the filmmaker Nadine Nator shares the story of her immigrant parents who own a store in the highly conservative town of Appomattox, Virginia, which voted for President Trump in 2016. We know everybody in town. Yes. I mean, we don't have any uh, grudges against any of them, and none of them have grudges against us. They like us. Politics, when, especially when we came like really long time ago, it wasn't that big of a deal. It's different now, maybe. I think Islam hates us. Racial violence, uh, racial uh, motivated violence by his white supremacist little friends. I have a motto that do not talk about politics or religion with your customer. If you do, you lose them. The Nator store is in the small Virginia town of Appomattox, best known as where Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to Union General Ulysses S. Grant, effectively ending the Civil War in 1865. Appomattox is beautiful. Everybody knows everybody. In between uh, Lynchburg and Richmond. There ain't much to do around here. A little redneck, a whole lot of redneck. Appomattox is mainly known for the end of the Civil War, uh, where Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant. The War of Northern Aggression. <laughs> I won't say that. No, not <laughs> I just said, yeah. you got me. <laughs> For the Nators, their roots are thousands of miles away in Palestine. I was born and raised in Kalanso in Palestine. In 1948, Palestine was occupied by Israel. The only jobs for us was laborers at Jewish settlements, and I couldn't do that. So I decided to become a farmer. I got enough money to buy a ticket to the United States. While the Nators say they don't talk about politics or religion with their customers, Saba Nator does share some of her cultural heritage. Okay, would you like to try my dessert I made? It's like a Mediterranean dessert. This is baklava. It's made with layer pastries and nuts and spices. Okay. And this is made out of cream wheat. Oh. 
out, I started to bring in desserts. That's good right there. Okay. It was kind of like building bridges between us and the customers. <laughs> While the NATOers build bridges with their neighbors, President Trump's anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim rhetoric has inspired a backlash in um, Appomattox. If you're not happy in the U.S., if you... I want to make a public apology to all the Muslim brothers and sisters out there. Salam alaikum. You're complaining all the time. Very simply, you can leave. You can leave right now. A Virginia church is echoing that sentiment with this billboard that says, America, love it or leave it. Pastor E.W. Lucas put up the sign at Friendship Baptist Church in Appomattox. Some members of his church led the congregation out of the service in a stance against him. Yeah, and yeah, I saw on the news last week, I told my wife to go to church Sunday. You're going to church Sunday? Oh, no. What, to do what? Just to, just to support that preacher. To support the preacher? That's right. Why? Why is in the church is supposed to love everybody? This congregation abandoned him and walked up. The Bible inspired the Declaration of Independence. We got our system of government from the Bible. Don't talk to me about that flag out yonder or that sign out yonder. This is our country. 